Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys uh, this morning. It is always an honor uh, to open up God's word with you guys together. Um, Before we get started, let me just say a special welcome uh, to those who are watching online, uh, whether that is via our church website or Facebook Live. We are thankful for you. This morning, I want us to start off, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, when I was a kid, my granddad and I, we discovered that we had a kind of a random uh, common interest that we did not realize that we had. No one would have ever guessed it. And it was this, we were both really, uh, we, we both really enjoyed professional wrestling, right? Now, this was back when it was WWF. Um, so it was in the, it was the old school, right? And so we would, uh, he, man, he would take us to, we would just kind of like it comes down to the base center here. We would go to all these matches. He would take me to that. We'd sit there uh, ringside and then, uh, then we, he would also, uh, we would get the pay-per-views. And you remember it was like the, uh, kind of the old where, you know, now you can just click a button and you can order it. But you used to have to go down to the cable company and get that little thing that plugs into the back of the box and all the things. And so uh, he would do that. And we would watch the pay-per-views and we would do all of that together. Just really had a good time with that. It was during that time that one of the wrestlers, his name was, uh, he kind of more popular guy, his name was the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, right? And the Million Dollar Man uh, was, there you go, right there. Uh, he actually is a believer and has a really great ministry right now uh, where he goes to high schools and just shares his faith. Just a really, really great story. But the Million Dollar Man, he, was, he would be, you know, kind of like count as a bad guy, right? And one of the things that he was known for was flaunting his money. So he would take his money and he's got money all over the place all the time. And after he would win, he would cram a $100 bill in a person's mouth, you know, and I'm like... I'll lose, you know what I mean? Anyway, um, but they, he would also uh, try to buy off the good guys. And so what he would do is he would hand them money and then they would come to his team, so to speak, or whatever. And so he was constantly, uh, he constantly had this tagline. He would say, everybody has a price. Everybody has a price. This morning, We're gonna spend some time together studying God's word as we continue onward through the book of Acts. And and we're going to look at this truth that everybody does have a price when looking at the cost of discipleship. So if you have a copy of God's word, if you wanna go ahead and turn with me, uh, we're gonna be in Acts 21. And while you are turning there, let me just bring you up to speed on what is going on with Paul. As we have seen over the past few weeks, Paul is nearing the end of his third missionary journey. And what Acts 20 and Acts 21 are filled with are lots of uh, affirming words to existing churches, but also they are filled with a lot of final goodbyes because Paul realizes that he would not be returning to these churches. But what we learn uh, towards the end of Acts 20 was that Paul had one more divine assignment. And that, deci- that assignment was that he was to go to Jerusalem. And so Acts 21, the first part of Acts 21, really just kind of walks us along that journey from, that Paul is taking to Jerusalem and, 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 and identifies places that he stops and continues to edify fellow believers. And as you will see through this text, there are great costs associated with discipleship, costs that uh, Paul was willing to take in order to fulfill what he knew the Lord was calling him to do. 
And so through this obedience, Paul teaches us three things about the cost of discipleship. The first thing we can learn from Paul is that discipleship requires movement. Discipleship requires movement. Let me ask you a question. If somebody was to ask you what the word discipleship means to you, how would you respond? Because there are a wide variety of definitions, but at its core, the definition should revolve around the idea of teaching biblical precepts while modeling and guiding others towards living righteously as followers of Jesus. In other words, putting some feet to your faith, your, your walk should reflect your talk. And Paul sets an incredible example of what this looks like. So before we get into Acts 21, let me just read for you real quick why Paul felt such an urgency to go to Jerusalem. And it's actually found in the previous chapter in, in Acts 20. It's going to be on the screen so you can follow by, uh, with us. But it says, and, and I am now bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And I don't know what awaits me except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I, I, I love how that text starts off where it says, I am bound by the Spirit. If you are bound to something, you are all in, right? You're all in. For, for those of you who are married, you are bound to your spouse. You are totally, unconditionally committed. And Paul is saying here, hey, bottom line, God told me to do it and therefore I'm in. And listen, this is the difference between being a believer and a disciple. You see, there, there is a great difference between those who follow Christ for loaves and fishes and those who follow Christ with all of their heart and all their mind and their soul and their strength. Bill Hull in, in his book, The Discipleship Gospel says this, says the type of thinking that says that you can be a Christian and not be a disciple is nothing more than a clever cover for disobedience. It enables people to say that they believe in Jesus without being held accountable to actually obeying Jesus. But Jesus didn't know of such a gap. He didn't give us room to lag or sag into disobedience. You know, Jesus actually indicated this a lot in his own teaching, right? We're reminded in the book of Luke uh, at one point where Jesus says, says uh, to the crowd that he's teaching to, he says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple, it's important for us to know that, that in this portion of Luke, Jesus is drawing huge crowds everywhere he goes, but Jesus knows that the large crowds are there for the miracles and what they can receive from Jesus. And so he starts preaching these messages deliberately trying to thin the crowd out because he was trying to make a, a point when it came to personal discipleship that he's more concerned and more interested in quality than quantity. And Jesus is making a distinction between salvation and discipleship. Yeah, I mean, yes, salvation is open to all who will come by faith. But discipleship is for believers who are willing to pay the price. Salvation means coming to the cross and trusting Jesus, while discipleship means carrying the cross and following Jesus. 
It's the difference between being in the crowd and being fully committed. Let me ask you this. You know what the most common name for followers of Jesus is in the entire Bible? The word disciple. It's listed 264 times in the Gospels and the book of Acts. I think that means that the Lord is a pretty big fan of this, right? And Paul understood that. And he understood that to be an obedient follower of Christ, to be committed, not just be in the crowd, then his discipleship required him to move. And church, my, my fear today is that many have arrived in a spot of being okay with just staying in the crowd. But they are not willing to be inconvenienced. They don't have time in their busy schedule to carry a cross. I mean, carrying a cross may interrupt other things that they want to do. When I was a, when I was a little boy, I used to get in trouble a lot. And uh, I had to get a lot of spankings. Right? We're from the old school. We believed in spankings in our house. And I used to get a lot of them, like every day, right? And so my mom, she, she got tired of spanking me. And so what she decided to do was that she was just going to start counting throughout the day. And instead of spanking me at every offense, she would just say, that's, that's one, that's two, that's three. And on and on she would go. And so we, we went through this one day and I kind of thought, yeah, she's not really going to follow through with this because, you know, like all of us parents, when we get tired at night, we just kind of like, just go to bed. We just, we're just done, right? I thought that's what we were going to do. And so I was getting out of the bathtub and I still remember this to this day. She says, all right, turn around. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you know, I'm clean. You know what I mean? Like, we're good. And she was like, no, turn around. It's, it's time to redeem. <laughs> You've got 18 whippings coming, right? 18. And I was like, man, here's the deal. Many, many years later, I remember that day, right? And she was good to it. All 18 of them, right? But listen, I didn't heed the warnings until I had to face the consequences. And, and, and I, if you have children... You totally understand that concept, right? A, a lot of people respond to Jesus like our kids respond to discipline, right? We give warnings and warnings and warnings and it's not until they get a consequence do they want to change. And it's the same principle. People believe in the consequences of their sin. And they approach Jesus simply as a means of escaping an eternal consequence, but they don't believe him in him enough to impact their life. So Martin Luther said one time, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And, and Paul shows us what it looks like to be all in. Listen to that verse again. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And listen, the same truth is true for us today. Like our lives are worth nothing unless we are using it to finish the work assigned to us by Jesus. Like we're shooting at the wrong target. There's, there is nothing in any of our schedules that is more important than following Jesus, but it does require us to move. 
Discipleship requires us to move from the crowd to the committed. We also learn from Paul that discipleship requires sacrifice. Discipleship requires sacrifice. As Paul continued on his journey to Jerusalem, he stopped off in Caesarea, and it's at this point that we are reintroduced to an old ministry partner of Paul whose name was Agabus. And we're going to read uh, this morning their exchange, and we're just going to start with the first part of that in Acts 21, verse 10 through 12. It says, several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. And he came over and he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands with it. And then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. As as followers of Jesus, sometimes he is going to ask us to do the hard things. He's going to ask us to do hard things, and sometimes these things don't make a lot of sense uh, to other people, and they require us to make a sacrifice in our lives. But listen, that doesn't change the assignment. And Paul had clear warnings, and he knew the dangers ahead. However, he was also keenly aware of the sacrifice laid out for his life. And when he was faced with that reality, then obedience just simply uh, wasn't an option to be disobedient. He was all in. You see, there was another man that Paul knew really well who had to make a a trip to Jerusalem once. And the trip to Jerusalem for his friend required the biggest sacrifice of them all, his life. That friend was Jesus, and Jesus, knowing the excruciating sacrifice that he would give, still walked the road to Jerusalem, and the sacrifice was his life. And that sacrifice was made in Paul's place so that Paul could live. And the really great news for all of us is that we have something in common with Paul and that Jesus died in our place as well. I read a story uh, once about Martin Luther when he was um, printing his translation of the Bible in German or in Germany. And as he was doing it, some pieces of the, of the text fell to the floor. And there's a young girl who came behind and she was sweeping it up and she picked up a piece of, of, the, of the, the text that was on the ground. And it was a, a, just a portion of a page and she read it and she read these words that said, for God so loved the world that he gave. But then the page was ripped and and she didn't know what the rest of the verse said. She ran home to her mom just with a lot of excitement and passed the note to her mother and she was just talking endlessly about this and the mother just kind of was confused and she was like, "Well, well, what did he give? What's the rest of the verse? And the little girl was just kind of puzzled and she didn't really know the answer to the question and finally a thought came to her mind her face lit up and she said these words to her mom she says I don't know but if he loved us well enough to give us anything then we need not be afraid of him and listen church if you trust him with your life 
then you can trust him when he asks you to do the tough things. And, and you may say, well, well, what does God want me to sacrifice? Well, whereas I, I'm not able to give each person in here a detailed description of what that looks like or a specific answer list, I can point you to a place in scripture where it's made pretty clear on what God is asking of us. And that text is found in Romans 12, 1, when it says this, it says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living in a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You know, this, this verse gives us really a beautiful picture of the sacrifice that God wants from each one of us. And to put it pretty simply, it's us. We are the sacrifice that he wants. Now, in this text, there are three words that I, I want us to focus on that I think are relevant to this sacrifice. So if you, if you are a Bible highlighter, like highlight the word holy and living and body. Body, living, and holy. Body, what does it mean by that? Well, the, the sacrifice of our bodies to God is not a sacrifice for sin, right? Jesus has already done that in the sacrifice of himself, like that part was taken care of. Now, the offering of our bodies is really not the offering of our bodily looks, but our bodily behavior. You see, in, in the Bible, the body is not significant because of the way it looks, but because of the way it acts, and the body is given to us to make visible the beauty of Christ. God wants the visible, lived out bodily evidence that our lives are being built on his mercy. So body is, is an important word in that text. Another important word is living, right? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It is your living that is an act of worship. And so let every act of your living body be a demonstration that God is your treasure. Let every act of your living body show that Christ is more precious to you than anything else. Let every act of your living body be a death to all that dishonors him. So body is important, living is important, holy like this, this means that you should give your, member, your, your eyes, your tongue, your hands, your feet. You give your body to do righteousness, not sin. That's what would make a body holy. Like a body is, is not holy because of what it looks like or what shape is in, but because of what it does. It should be a physical instrument of a hunger for righteousness and of meekness and mercy and peace. And when all three of those things, those components, body, living, and holy are present in our lives, then Romans 12, 1 tells us that God receives that sacrifice as acceptable. So are you putting Jesus first? Are you paying the price to follow him? Or are you looking for any and all kind of excuses to avoid obeying him? Because here's the deal, even those excuses, if they are noble and full of good intentions, if they are keeping us from following Christ, then those excuses are wrong. Because discipleship requires 
sacrifice. And finally, uh, through Paul's call to Jerusalem, we can learn that discipleship requires response. Discipleship requires response. Paul realized the sacrifice that had been made on his part. And he was committed to giving God his absolute best, even if it meant being bound by his own feet and hands, beaten and imprisoned. Check, it, check out his response in Acts 21, 13 through 15. He says, while this weeping, you're breaking my heart. I'm ready, I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And it was clear that we couldn't persuade him. We gave up and we said, the Lord's will be done. And after this, we packed our things and we left for Jerusalem. Strong faith is about doing, not just knowing. And once again, Paul was putting faith into action. You see, when, when Jesus calls us to follow, he expects us to obey without delay. The, the call of Jesus comes before any call of this world. And our obedience to him must take priority over our obedience to any other obligation or duty that we may feel we have. But you know, there's another lesson here that, that Paul teaches us that's kind of tucked away here. And, and here's, the, here's the deal. He didn't let the advice from others dictate what he knew that God had called him to do. Right, think about it. it. It started off really good, right? You have Agabus giving Paul some, some really prophetic words and we're gonna see in the next few, uh, few weeks that they were indeed prophetic words. But right at the last second, we moved from prophecy to opinion. And they begged Paul not to go. Problem with that is that that was their opinion. But as we read a little while ago, Paul knew that he had a word from the Lord that he was to go back to Jerusalem. Church, listen, don't miss this. Don't miss this. He knew he had a word from the Lord because he was in a committed, constant, conversing relationship with him. And this is vitally important for all of us when people start giving their opinions and it doesn't line up with the commands from God but we have to know the commands of God in order to line up. And this is a problem for a lot of people today because they take people's opinions and their thoughts about them and their circumstances and they place them in a higher authority than the word of God. And that is why so many people have moved God from his deserved highest throne and placed him in the mix of all extracurricular activities of life. They, they've allowed the opinions of others to dictate God's call and not vice versa. But make no mistake, God is not an extracurricular activity and the Bible is very clear that he is a jealous God and he will not have a rival. In Paul's decision, didn't make a lot of sense to those around him, but that didn't matter because he had one agenda and his agenda was following Jesus no matter what. 
And as a disciple of Jesus, there will probably be times when he asks you to do things differently than other people. And those people might not understand, but that's okay. Because here's the deal, a God who never asks you to do hard things and only points you to a life of comfort and conformity to your environment does not look like Jesus. Did you catch that? Let me, let me read that to you again. A God who never asks you to do hard things and only points you to a life of comfort and conformity to your environment does not look like Jesus. Let's just, just sit in that for a moment and do some self-reflection. So let me ask you a question. When, when is the most recent hard thing that God has used to transform you into his likeness? What is that hard thing in your life? You know, another gauge that we can use in our lives is, is to see where we are right now with Christ and how are you different in your walk with Christ today than you were a year ago? How's it any different? You know, that's, that's why Matthew 5 tells us that we are the salt of the earth. I actually have a salt shaker in my back pocket because why not, right? So I have a salt shaker in my back pocket here. But Matthew 5 tells us that we are to be the salt of the earth, right? But notice that it doesn't say that we are to be the salt of the shaker. Like, let me explain to you what I mean. Like, salt sitting in a shaker, sitting on this table, serves very little purpose, right? It's just there. It does nothing. It's a paperweight. It's only when the salt comes out of the container that it serves its purpose, right? This is why Jesus is telling us we are to be the salt of the earth. If we're just sitting here and we're all comfortable like this, this is not making an impact. Jesus is saying, no, you are to make an impact, right? You're supposed to go and you're supposed to spread salt on the earth, you are to be my disciples. But a lot of times people approach their relationship with Jesus just as a shaker. I'm good, it's comfortable, I've got my stuff. I'm not really worried about other people. And let me just say this, like that's, that's not anywhere in the Bible. We don't see that anywhere. Do the people that you work with know that you are the salt of the earth. The person that you're sitting in class next to, they, they know that Jesus has changed your life. Does your home center around him? Like if you answered yes to those questions, let me just say this, welcome to the minority. And if I had to guess, in order for you to arrive at a yes answer, that there were, then there were probably some sacrifices that you had to make along the way. But hear me clearly, it is so worth it. And why is that? It's because, as Reggie Joyner once said, the best chance someone may have to personally see God is to get a close-up look at the people who follow God. And this is why Paul had to make the trip to Jerusalem.
so that others could get a close-up view of someone who follows God, even when it's hard. And this is also why Jesus made his trip to Jerusalem, so others could get a close-up view of someone who follows God, even when it's hard. And church, listen, it's also why we need to make our trip to Jerusalem. We need to make the trip to our Jerusalem so that others can get a close-up view of someone who follows God. So as we get ready to wrap this up this morning, let me, let me ask you a question. Like, what is your price? What's your price? You know, you, yeah, you're sure you're committed to Jesus, but your commitment to him stops at the point of inconvenience. Take a hard look at that point because that's your price. That's where your commitment to Jesus stops and you sell out. Maybe you downplay your commitment to Jesus in front of your friends because you don't want to be mocked. That's your price. Maybe God has told you to go somewhere. God has said to go on mission somewhere or has told your children to go on mission somewhere and you are resisting him. That's your price. Maybe he is calling you to put him first in your finances and you're just not ready to give up that part yet. Man, that's, that, that's your price. Maybe it's serving in the church. Maybe it is, is committing, and, which may require you to step away from other things. Listen, bottom line, the million dollar man was right. Everybody does have a price. Because left to our own devices, every one of us, myself in the front of the line, we betray Jesus as naturally as breathing. You ever noticed that within 24 hours of sharing his last meal with the disciples, every one of Jesus' disciples abandoned him? Every one of them. And yet he die for them anyway. When his disciples sold Jesus out for their own safety, he offered himself up as a sacrifice without price. When they were faithless, he remained faithful. And if there's hope for these disciples, then praise God, there is hope for me. You see, when I have sold out and betrayed Jesus, he could have walked away, he had every right. But instead of walking away, he walked up Calvary's hill and he bore my sins on the cross. And he did the same thing for you, even knowing your price. You see, it's, we're not saved because of how committed we are to him, but we're saved because of how committed he is to us. 
Discipleship requires movement. Discipleship requires sacrifice. Discipleship requires response. So the question we're gonna end with this morning is simply this, which one of these are you needing the most help with today?